All right, let's uh, stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. And we'll sit for the word of the teacher. We're going to pick up Matthew, 9, uh, Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus speaking to his disciples, his followers, and he says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your food or your body or what you put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they, need, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, the pagans, the non-believers seek. <clears throat> For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Lord, we ask the blessing of, of you on the study of your living word. Cause us to come alive to it. Lord, we could, we could end right now by just the simple reading of it. We'd all be profoundly touched. But God, I, I know there's illustrations that will help us to learn more. And Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the one who comes alongside, you're going to lead us into a greater understanding of the text. And Lord, the greatest desire is that this would be applied to our hearts and our lives. And so, Lord, I pray that you do a marvelous, amazing work in each and every person present. We thank you. Be blessed now, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a seat. So we've been going through the, the study of the Sermon on the Mount, the sermon Jesus gave to his disciples who came with him. Again, we're going to see that site in November when we go to Israel. And, and as he began to speak to them, he began with the Beatitudes, these... these um, how to be happy statements. Uh, blessed means, oh, how happy. And the Beatitudes, uh, attitude of being, he said, blessed or oh, how happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall see God. He says, blessed are you when you're persecuted and they say all kinds of evil about you for my name's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. He goes through all these pictures of what a Christian is and what a transformed life is like. And then he says, you're going to be persecuted if you live like this. But rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. You're not going to get your reward on earth. You're, you're storing up your reward. And he says reward seven times in this passage. There will be a reward awaiting you in heaven. He says, and that, that's your mindset. That's your vision. That's your focus. That is your perspective. 
And then he says, the persecution, and I've noticed this in 25 years of ministry, I've lived the Beatitudes, but it wasn't until, and and I didn't face the bottom portion of the Beatitudes with the persecution and the reviling until I stepped outside the pulpit. The pulpit is a really safe place in America, strangely enough. We can be bold and, you know, caustic, and we can be emphatic and on and on and on, and we can think that we're accomplishing great things, and we can be pietistic and moral. And and I, I... in 25 years of ministry, no one ever picked on me or said anything vile about me. It wasn't until I stepped outside of the pulpit and ran for politics that I started to face the persecution and those type of things. Why is that? Well, the Lord pointed it out at the conclusion of the Beatitudes when he said, you are the salt of the earth. And if salt loses its saltiness, it's thrown out and trampled underfoot for it's good for nothing. He says, you're the light of the world, a city, a polis, a governing body on a hill. And the idea is that salt and light, salt is a, it penetrates and light illuminates. But when Jesus was sharing this concept in the Sermon on the Mount, when he was talking about persecution, he said, if you apply the truths of the Beatitude and you step into the darkest areas of the world, and we saw this when we did the sermon on Christmas Day about a great light has shone in this region of the world. In the darkest area of the world, that's where Christ came. And he brought that light into the darkest region of the world. And God is calling us into the darkness to go and to proclaim the light and to live the light. And that's where the persecution comes. We can stay behind the comfort of the four walls of the church and me behind the security of this wooden stand and think ourselves to be bold, but there's no persecution awaiting us. We're in a nation that even to this level still protects us within the walls. But you step outside and you get into the culture of influence, whether it's in the media or whether it's in the school systems or whether it's in politics you're going to face persecution, i.e. the man that Dr. Bob spoke about. Uh, Brad Cummings that shared about uh, the movie The Shack that's coming out and what he had to face at Lionsgate Entertainment to stand on behalf of truth. Uh, What you've witnessed in, in my short time and what I've endeavored in doing and what I've witnessed all of you doing, that's where the persecution comes. And with that persecution, the Lord says that you're the salt of the earth. And we learned this in, in a refreshing course because it ties in with what we're studying today. It wasn't that he was talking about salt losing its flavor. It's an element on the periodic table. And, and, and this idea of an element losing its saltiness, it's not the case because what Jesus was saying is that salt, to anyone who was listening in that day and age, they understood salt in a different concept than we do. You see, in the Roman world, they, would, they had the term salary, which is where they got their payment, their currency, their commodity. It was it was what they worked for. It was their salary, their currency, their commodity. And Roman soldiers were paid in salt. That's where they get the term salary. And what Jesus was saying to all of them is, when you step into the world, you have to have the currency of that world. You have to deal in the things that are important to them while maintaining your position as a Christian in that world. You understand their currency. In America, you use the dollar. In Russia, you use the ruble. In Europe, you use the the euro. The currency in politics, as we studied, is winning elections. So for a pastor to stand behind a pulpit and say, you know, vote for a third party or uh, I can't vote for an immoral man or I can't, and you go on and on and on. What they don't realize that I do as a pastor uniquely and a politician is I can look at that pastor and say, you know nothing about politics. That is not a currency in politics. You're irrelevant in politics. That's why Christians are dismissed the worldwide, even though we're 85 million of us and it's the largest minority in America, we have no currency in the political world because we stay right here instead of engaging over here. To engage over here gets dirty and hard and difficult. 
a little bit overwhelming. As we heard from Brad Cummings, the currency in the media is selling movie tickets, right? That's the bottom line. He has to step into that realm, into that world of influence that touches America. And if he's going to bring in the, the salt and the light, the salt is the currency and the light is Christ. As he comes into that realm and he sits in that board of directors with Lionsgate Entertainment and they say, we want to remove the Trinity from the movie The Shack, that's where Brad stands up and says, hey, time out. In the pantheon of gods, we only know of one that left heaven and put on flesh to dwell with man. You take that out, you're going to lose 20 million readers of that book, and you're going to have another Exodus and Noah movie that's going to be a flop at the box office, and boom, it clicks, and they go, we're going to lose money. <laughs> so he knows the light, and he knows the currency, the salary, the commodity, and he applies them both with wisdom given by the Lord. And now he contends, and I just saw the screening, and it's fabulous, and it's going to have an amazing effect upon the country. That's, that is the currency. That's the commodity. Is the same as Dr. Bob shared with the, the professor at Cal State Northridge. You still speak the truth. You still bring in the light, but you have to show them the currency of that and compete in that arena. What happens, Jesus says, is when you step into those areas of influence, whether it's the media or whether it's the school systems or whether it's the political world, when you step in, Jesus said, you're going to be challenged. And if you step into any of those areas because you want to find identity, you're going to be in trouble. Because really what you're doing is you're living in two worlds. And you're, you're putting on a mask for each world. On Sunday, I put on the mask of a Christian. And on Monday, I put on the mask of a politician. I jettison my Christian values for the sake of wanting to appeal to people and tell them anything they want to hear so that they're going to do what I want them to do. And that is not what Christ wants. We have to be the same in public as we are in private. And what he declares in that is if you do that, you become a hypocrite. Now, a hypocrite was always considered a, a generous term in the, in, in the Roman era, but Jesus pointed out that this is not what you want to be. A hypocrite was an actor's term where you put a mask on to play one part, and then you take it off and you put another mask on to play another part. One's smiling, one's frowning, right? And Jesus said, don't switch masks. Be who you are in both places. And the way to avoid hypocrisy is to evaluate your life. And he gave three things that we studied in our last session. He gave three things to evaluate your life to see if you're a hypocrite. And these are things that are so applicable to faith. And the three things were tithing, praying, and fasting. Tying, praying, and fasting. You see, when you tithe or when you give, Jesus says, don't let everyone know. Don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Don't do it for the praise of man. You're always worried about what people think, and so you want everyone to know that you're giving, and you want your name on a plaque, and you want the adoration and all the acknowledgement, and, and you give because it gives you some sort of position in the community that people come and do their bidding before you, and they, you know, they genuflect before you, and, and that's why you're giving is that you want to elevate yourself. And God says, no, 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 no. Tithing is given unto the Lord. It doesn't mean that people won't know what you're doing. I mean, we, you can't give without people knowing. You can do it in some respects, but in a lot of cases, it just doesn't happen that way. Especially as we do tax deductions and the like, there's people that have to tally that. And by the way, if your check is postdated in 31st, you still get it in. And I, I did you see, it's just so smooth. It's like a used car salesman. 
the praying is the other thing. You want to pray out loud so people think you're, you're you know, an, an, an oratory genius and, and you use all these big words. And, and yet it's a conversation is what praying is, talking to your Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's a model on how to have an intimate prayer with the Lord and put everything into perspective to have his vision that he orders your steps to do his purposes in life. That's the model of the prayer. If you're praying is so that people think that you're somehow religious and on and on and on so that they, they again genuflect to you and give you accolades, that's not the point. And then the fasting. You know, if you fast and you walk around with your face all mopey and you look gaunt and miserable and, oh, I'm fasting for the Lord, it's just another burden of a cross I've got to bear. But this is the depth of my, my spiritual journey and I just want you to know how special I am. Yeah, just, you know, flush that, it's done. The Lord says when you're fasting, do it in such a way that you're interceding and you're, it, there's, a, there's a personal denial of yourself. Jesus says, if any man comes after me, he has to deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me. You're just aligning with the Lord, obtaining his vision by denying yourself in the areas of struggle. And you're denying yourself food, which is the, you know, the third greatest drive of, of any human being. First it's air, then it's water, then it's food. And, and you can go without food and it causes us to align ourselves spiritually to his purposes. And this avoids hypocrisy putting on masks to play in the world. God wants our public and our private life to be the same. Amen? And then he says this, hypocrisy will then create a disease that will kill you. The disease of the hypocrite, and the hypocrite is the man pleaser. And the fear of man is a snare, the scripture says. You want to please man, so you're always putting on both masks. You want to please the church, you want to please the political arena, you want to please the church, you want to please the media, and you're playing both sides. And that's an awful place to be because you're trying to remember what you said to one group that you didn't say to the other. You're trying to couch it, play it. And hypocrisy breeds a disease. You see, with a hypocrite, with a man pleaser, there comes a problem. And the problem is this worry, anxiety, torment. In America, we have great abundance. You see, when you step into the political world, it's dangerous. Because in the political world, yes, the currency is winning elections, but the byproduct is power. In the media, the currency is selling tickets, but the byproduct is wealth and power and influence. You can be drunk on the power and the influence and the money as you can with the power over here, and that can destroy the believer. And then you start worrying about the power, and you start worrying about the money, and you start worrying about the, the lifestyle, and the anxiety creeps in, and the worry manifests itself. It can happen at a high school. It can happen at a junior high. You're worried about wanting to be the most popular and what to wear, what to dress, how to look, Right? You become overwhelmed with worry. In a nation that has great abundance, we lead the world in anxiety. We have analysts and psychiatrists and psychologists and our medicine cabinets are filled with all kinds of pills. We lay awake and we worry and we have depression. We have, a, we, we, we have these moments where our chest is so tight. We can't sleep. Can't breathe. We have panic attacks. And the Lord says, this is a byproduct of hypocrisy. And he says, I'm going to diagnose it today. And then the Lord says, 
then I'm also going to give you the remedy. And this is a remedy we need for 2017. I didn't orchestrate this. This is where the text brought us today, and I believe this is a gift from the Lord for what will be for all of us one of the greatest years of our lives. Amen. This, this side is all in. I told the first service it was light in attendance. I said, you're the ones who didn't drink last night. Apparently this section, I'm just kidding. Honey, why are you over? No, I'm just kidding. So let's take a look. Let's take a look at the disease. Let's take a look at what the problem is so that we can diagnose the remedy. Amen? Look at verse 19. Jesus says in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Another way to translate that in the Greek is stop treasuring treasures. Stop putting so much value on earthly treasure. We're consumed with our bank accounts. We're consumed with our cars. We're consumed with our trinkets. We're consumed with our relationships and our identity. I saw one where there's a bunch of women in the world that are getting together decrying that they have entered into motherhood and it's the worst thing they ever did because it's left them empty and on and on and on. And my feeling is even motherhood can be an idol. If you think that's going to bring you happiness, I got news for you. There's late nights and dirty diapers and messy high chairs. And and if that is your goal for happiness, you're going to be miserable. But if you see it as a calling with a vision from the Lord, it takes on a whole new meaning. If you see your work as a form of worship as unto the Lord, whatever you do, do as unto the Lord, then it takes on a whole new meaning. But if you look at it for identity, if you look at it for, for some sort of fulfillment, you are an idol worshiper. And, and what the Lord is saying is, do not treasure treasures. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. And he defines what those are, what those are where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. If you're worried about it rotting or being eaten or being stolen, it is an idol. The car in your garage, it rusts, you polish it. It's an idol. Anything that can be eaten, where, where are my croissants? <laughs> There's nothing in my house that can survive long with the two empty holes of suns I have. Just, I have found a black hole, it was my children. If it can be consumed, if it can rust, or if it can be stolen. You're laying awake wondering, well, I gotta set up the trust. I gotta make sure this, this is the seal. And, and then my, my partner, and then, and then if they, but the, then the, the broker doesn't, and then the fees, and I just, and then my, and then my dad, my, my sister, and, and then the family, and then they're all, oh, oh, <laughs> How do you know, how do you know it's an idol? It's real simple. How do you know it's an idol? Do you worry about it? That's a problem. Another one, do you spend a lot of time with it? You see, worship, God created us to worship. We're all worshipers. Some of us just worship at the wrong altar. We worship things that kill us and take up our time, consume us as they rot and rust and are eaten and are stolen. Some of us worship at the altar of the Lord more refreshed and strengthened and given renewed vision purpose and direction that even in the trials there's joy where do you want to be you become like that what you worship whatever you spend your time your treasures and your talents doing that's what you worship and what is money doing for you and what is that worry doing for you it's doing wonders for your family i imagine yes you're drinking maylocks and 
Your blood pressure is going up as the stock goes down. You're drinking coffee to keep moving and your blood pressure is high. It's a good life, isn't it? Barking at everybody and kicking dogs and sometimes you reverse it and go to jail. And here you have this picture where the Lord says, don't treasure earthly treasure where moth and rust destroy and thieves break and steal. But, contrary, but, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. You saw with Gail, what does she treasure? People. What's the only thing going to heaven? People. Why are you on this earth? For my comfort? Wrong. For my accumulation of wealth? Wrong. For a name on a plaque? Wrong. For an endowment at a university? Wrong. To get back at my parents for bed? Wrong. To prove myself on my 25th you know, high school reunion? Wrong. You're not here for that. You are here to lead others to Jesus. They are treasures to be stored in heaven where moth and rust will not destroy and thieves will not break in and steal. And you go right into the midst of the darkness and you love them into the kingdom. And they're not the enemy, they're opportunities. They're the object of his eye. They're the love of his heart. They're, they're, creating, they're all created in the image of God. They're, they're wayward children. It's like having a sibling that you have a heart for and you want to go out and get them back into the house. This is what God's called us to. And you store these treasures in heaven where thieves will not break in and steal. He who's been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. And they're given a body eternal in the heavens that, that will never be eaten by moths and destroyed by rust. But yet, you think, and I say you, I mean the church and us in general, we, 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 we conceive this idea that somehow the best thing we can give to our children is an inheritance of money. If that produced great kids, there would be no need for tabloids in the supermarket. One of the things that fascinated me about Gail when I talked to Tony is I said, this is a beautiful house in which you live. He says, we lease it. We come to find out that they live month to month by faith. They travel the world. She's the main speaker. It's shut down now. I said, Tony, what are you going to do? He says, the Lord will provide. He always has. I look at the five children, four girls, one boy. They all have the same faith as their mother. They all walk with God. I know no greater joy than to see my children walk with God. You want to talk about inheritance? Gail didn't leave them a, a, a bank account. Gail left them a faith. Are you doing that? Or are you transmitting to your children all of your anxiety and your worry? You've got to make sure that the trust is kept in order and you've got to make sure that these folks, and don't trust them, and certainly don't ever buy from a Scotsman and sell to a Jew. <laughs> Just throwing that all out there. Going to have to edit that for the radio. It's not PC, <laughs> although I am Scotch. There might be some Jewish in there too. Heinz 57. <laughs> so I think we're related. Anyways, where were we? And the worry and the fear and the trepidation all builds as you transfer that to your children. What an inheritance. What a nightmare. This idea of no matter what happens in life, there's a purpose for you and a calling upon your life. It's a vision. You may lose your eyesight, but you have a vision. And, and, and the Lord clearly says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. My treasure is in heaven. That's where my heart is. I want you there. My whole life is, is lived that you join me. I don't want to do it without you. None of you. You know why? 
Because my father, my papa, my daddy in heaven loves you because he's yours. He told me as one of your siblings, he's waiting for you to come home. I want to live for that purpose. I want you to come home with me. What other joy is there? I think one of the reasons why the Lord gave us a gift of hospitality early on, even when we didn't have two nickels to rub together, and, and I remember Eric Smith saying, I always thought you were exceptionally rich because you always provided the greatest food. That was our grocery budget whenever anyone would come, and God would always resupply, always. And, and I know the gift of hospitality because in my father's house are many mansions. I want to reflect to anyone who comes into my home, there is a meal waiting for you, and, and we're going to love on you. And there are times where people have come over at different hours where maybe Michelle and I are tired and they come in, maybe they have kids. And, and we just look at each other and our prayer is, Lord, would, would you just take us out of ourselves and give us a heart to bless them? We'll stop in front of a home that we've been invited to and, and we've got a busy schedule, but we stop and we just say, God, when we walk into that door, would you give us a heart to serve these folks and love on them? And that's our prayer. That's the Lord. I know me. I want to be served, not serve. I know my flesh. But my heart is where my treasure is, and my treasure is heaven. And that's where my heart is, and I want you there. I want anyone I come into contact to be there. And the Lord says this, and it's fascinating. He says in verse 22, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Now, let's apply that to Gail. Her eyes are shot. She was blind as a bat. She couldn't see. But she had more vision than the entire room combined. The world would say her eye was bad. I would say her eye was very good. How can you see and not have joy? She can't see and has joy. That's because she has vision. You see? You know what makes your eye bad? It's what you're looking at. What you're worshiping. If it's rotting or being eaten or can be stolen, you're looking at the wrong thing. God wants you to look at him and to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these other things will take its own course. And the problem is, when you're a hypocrite and you live in worry and anxiety and your eyes are on the wrong things, thinking that's going to bring fulfillment, and you're not worshiping the Lord, but you're worshiping idols, false gods, here's what happens. We've been created... the book of Romans says subject to vanity or as Blaise Pascal the French philosopher in Matthew, he said every man is created with a God-shaped void if you're trying to fill that with everything else you're always looking from the sensual you're always looking from the physical and everything has to somehow fe- feed this need and so that's why there has to be a different centerfold in Playboy or Penthouse there has to be endless pictures on the internet and you have to click through them all and it never satisfies it just leaves you empty and it destroys your relationships there isn't a drug that can accomplish it. If you, we've tried them all. We've done them all. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. And it doesn't do it. And when you worship, you, come, you become like that which you worship. And, and if you worship money, you become cold and lifeless and dead. When you worship the Lord, you have life and life more abundant. It's about life. It's about people. See, when, when it says, if, if, if your eye is bad, the word bad is pornea. Pornia is where we get the word pornography. It's this idea that you look at women or men as commodities. You look at them as, as objects, not as human beings. 
objects for your pleasure. You don't care anything about them. It's, it's just about how it satiates your physical drive, and you just go through them like chicken wings, just spitting out the bones as you leave carnage everywhere. And the Lord says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. It's driven by this carnal, debased mind where nobody is of value. They are all to be bought and sold in human trafficking. And the Lord says, if therefore the light that is in you is, is darkness, how great is that darkness? Meaning if that's the thing that illuminates your life, that drives you, that's where you go. That's what you're drawn to, like a moth to a flame. It will destroy you. How dark is that, that your life is driven towards that, towards deception and, and, and towards consumption? God says, have vision. You can have bad eyes and not be able to see physically, but you can have vision to see God's kingdom, his kingdom come, his will be done, that this is your purpose, this is your destiny, this is your calling. And all of the trials in life, you don't find your identity in your failure. You find your identity in the Lord and he uses your failure together for good. Everything has a reason and a purpose. And then he says, here's another diagnosis of the problem. He says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You say, well, if I could just kind of play in both worlds, have my cake and eat it too, get my get out of hell free card and still be fully in the world. God says, no, you can't serve two masters. You'll either hate the one and love the other or else you will be loyal to one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon. You can serve many things. Some of you say, I've pulled in so many directions. I just, I just feel like I'm going crazy. Well, welcome to the world of idol worship. You're polishing it and you're blowing off the moths and you're, you're looking to make sure no one steals it and you're driven in a thousand directions with no purpose and no meaning. I got to hold on to this, like Daffy Duck, mine, mine, mine. <laughs> You're just popping the pills and drinking the coffee and going. You have nothing but worry, fear, panic. You can't serve both God and mammon. You can serve in the world, but not be driven by the world because you're governed by the Lord. He can order your steps in such a way that the power doesn't move you or the money doesn't drive you. You're there because there's people there and you want to love them. You want to shine in the darkness. And that's what protects you from hypocrisy. The Lord says, be careful. Why, why does he say tithe? Why does he say your treasure's in heaven? Why does he say these things? The idea is it's not because the church can't survive if you don't tithe. The church has been surviving for thousands of years when the body of Christ has not tithed. We're still here. The only person it affects is you, me. Because what we're doing when we're tithing is we're saying, God, you are preeminent in my life. Not only do you ask for 10, you own it all, but you allow me to have the other 90. God, thank you. Your focus is on him. When you give that first portion, you're not worrying about it. You're saying, God, that's a no-brainer. You're, you're the man. You, you're it. You're my king. You're my God. And prayer, I'm going to spend time. I, it's, it's not anything I want anyone to see. It's just joy. I love to talk with you. You know what's fascinating about prayer? Is that it, it, it really is effectual when we're going through trials. And you know what God is so good about doing as your papa, as your daddy? Is he, he's going to let you go right into the trial. 
So you go, I need help. You know, it's like riding your bike. I don't need you. Take the training wheels off. I got the, oh, daddy. You know, grab it. Thanks, Papa. Right? I got this. No, you don't. And the fasting is saying, God, I'm, I'm getting out of alignment here. I'm losing my vision. I'm being drawn by the pornea. I'm being drawn by all this stuff. I'm just denying myself in my third most intense tribe. I'm going to put everything back into perspective. I just, I just want you. And God does that in each of those areas of our life. And he shows us we can't serve two masters. Just come to me, all oh, you are burdened and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. And with all of the diagnosis that we've seen, you can't serve two masters. You, you, you got to watch your eyes. The eyes are the issue. If it's bad, your whole body's bad. This idea of treasures, you don't treasure treasures. He says with this diagnosis of what's causing your worry and your anxiety, he says, now I've got your remedy. And here's the remedy for 2017. Look, if you would, with me at verse 25. The remedy, therefore. Therefore, meaning with the diagnosis, therefore, here's the remedy. I say to you, ready? I say to you, here's the remedy. Don't worry about your life. All right, have a nice day. Lord bless you. <laughs> Some of you go, oh, pastor, that's so simplistic. That's stupid. I, you're, 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 you're belittling the issues that I'm facing. Is he? I, was just, I just got a text from, from a, a psychologist who said, I used to deal with PTSD in my entire life, and I, I, I knew the symptoms. I was educated to define the symptoms, but it wasn't until I met Jesus that I found the 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 remedy and jesus says the remedy is don't worry about your life another way better to describe it in the greek is stop taking anxious thought about your life philippians chapter 4 paul writes be anxious for nothing but in all things by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your request be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your mind in christ jesus first peter Chapter 5, verse 7 says, cast your cares upon him for he cares for you. And so when you're going through life and you're worried, you just give it to him. Dad, will you take this? I don't want to be anxious in anything. I want to be prayerful and talk to you. You know, I, I think of the story of the man that worried constantly. You, you've met somebody like this. They drunk, drunk, walk around drinking a bottle of Maalox, right? And they worry so much that they annoy you. And you're, you, you find yourself worrying about running into them. They're so worry-filled. <laughs> They're just infectious. And, and they just, and their face is wrinkled and they carry the worry and they carry the stress and the blood pressure and their eyes look like they're about to pop out of their skull and their face is beat. You know, you've seen them. And they're just angry and they're snapping at everybody. Well, this man was like that. And his, his good friend, one of the last remaining, saw him and his countenance had changed. The wrinkles were gone. His, his, he just, he was, looked like he was at peace. And he said to him, you look great. He goes, I know. I stopped worrying. He says, wow, how did you do that? He says, I hired somebody to worry for me. <laughs> he says, really? He says, yeah, he, he does all the books. He takes care of everything. I don't worry anymore. He goes, what does that cost you? He goes, 50000 a year. He goes, you don't have that. He goes, that's not my problem. That's his. <laughs> But when the scripture says in 1 Peter 5, when the scripture says in 1 Peter 5, cast your cares on him, you got God to worry for you. My kids never worry when they open the refrigerator when they were little. Daddy's going to take care of it. They turn the light switch on. They don't know anything about an electric bill. Daddy's got it. Papa's got it. Therefore, don't worry about your life. 
And, and he, he says, let me give you an example. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Think about it. We are driven by food. We're driven by what we wear. I, I, God forbid I wake up and I'm in high school again or junior high where you've got to wear that, that exact clothing and have your hair done the right way or nobody's going to like you and you're just you're living with fear and trepidation and anxiety and then the grades and you've got to get this GPA and you've got to get into this college. You're going to be a nobody. And then you're 16 and you're going to have an aneurysm. And you just, you just lay awake. I've got to go to this party and I've got to get to know this person. And then the whole world, you don't understand what this haircut has done to me. That nobody's going to talk to me. It's awful. I had socks that didn't match. It's awful. Right? I went to my sister's 60th birthday and I sat down across from my other sister. And she says, you're gaining weight. And I go, you know what? You know what? You sound like mom. I said, I'm here. Don't feed me dinner and then say something about my weight. I'm here to spend time with you. I'll deal with the weight later. I want to live long. I want to do right by the Lord. I want my body to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm conscious of that. But nobody hired you to be the Holy Spirit. Do you want to spend time with me or do you want to play this game of measuring your value based on my, my weight? And, and boy, our family's good at that. So where are you going to school now? How's work going? Have you achieved? Apparently, well, let me just tell you about my kids. And that's why we hate the holidays. Everyone's, you know, basing their value on demeaning someone else. Well, did you hear? And you know what's so great? You walk into a room... And some of you are looking at, pastors don't dress like that. Yeah, they do. Uh, here you go. I mean, can you imagine the pre- pastors should be in three-piece suits? Well, then go to a church where there's one with a three-piece suit. This pastor wears this. At least I'm wearing clothes. Yeah, thank God. That hurt. <laughs> The Lord says, stop worrying about what you eat or what you drink, nor about your body or what you'll put on. And here's the key. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Life, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Life is within you. It is who you are. Look past the exterior into the heart of the human being. Quit measuring each other based on appearance. Stop. Quit worrying about that. And then he says this, look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are they not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? I know the worry in this room. You should all be Goliath. If worrying made us taller, you, I would be hugantic. But let me ask you this. Of all the worry, and I'm, I'm, I can, you know, accumulate 52 years of it, of all the worry, tell me how it has benefited you and your health. It hasn't. Jesus says, stop. Don't worry about life in that respect. Stop. Don't worry about your life in that regard. Jesus says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. They take water, dirt, 
and air, and they make an unbelievably beautiful flower. Just in the spring, walk out and just go, water, dirt, and air, and you, what and how? Look at them. Smell the roses. Spend some time. And, and, and all of this, as they grow, they neither toil nor spin. They're not out there going, this is, I've, I've got a schedule to keep. I mean, the birds of the air, do you ever see any of them drinking maylocks? Up on the, you know, branch. This is unbelievable. I don't know where we get the, I need some alcohol. He says, and yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon, he had 36 guards that would follow his chariot, 18 on one side, 18 on the other. They were required to be over six feet tall and have raven black hair. And he wore only white silk because he was so rich. Wealthiest man who ever lived. He only wore white silk because it breathes. And these 18 six foot plus guards with raven black hair would run alongside ripped and muscular and he would grind up gold and sprinkle it in their hair so they would shimmer when they'd run along the chariot. Wow. (laughs) And you can imagine, has the gold been ground? Where is my silk? Who's got the horses? I pay you to worry. And as spectacular as that is, you just look at a flower going, hey, there goes Solomon. And you take a look at silk microscopically. It looks like wool the further down you go. You look at a flower microscopically, you see prettier and prettier and prettier. That's the Lord. It's fascinating. And Solomon couldn't even compete. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith, clothe you. Yes, what, I need a Ferrari. No, you don't need a Ferrari. You want a Ferrari, but the Ferrari's going to kill you because you will spend your time keeping the rust off of it and the thieves from stealing it and all of that and the moths eating it. God will meet your needs because he has a calling on your life. He's going to give you the needs necessary for that calling to accomplish the purpose he's given you as your eyes are on him and the vision is established through prayer and fasting and giving. God will align you with his purpose so that life matters. And your identity is not in things, but in God himself. Because you're worshiping at the throne of the living God who imparts life, not burden. And then he closes by saying, therefore, do not worry. Stop being anxious. Stop taking anxious thought. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Stop. For all these things, after all these things, the the pagans run. Your heavenly father knows that you need all these things, but seek first, here's the remedy, seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We take the past, we take the future, and we spend the present worrying about both. And we destroy the present. And we can't change the past and we can't change the future. Our, let, me, let me correct that. We can't change the past and our worry won't affect the future. I'll, I'll leave you with this thought. You did not receive a spirit of bondage again to fear, but to receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Romans 8, this idea that he is our papa, he's our daddy. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. He's our dad. And we're heirs. Jesus is our brother and he is our God. 
And he's the son of the father. One of the most amazing things to me is when Tony came up to share about Gail. He said, uh, she would always make me put out my left arm so that I could always look like a gentleman when she would place her arm in mine. To seem as though it was nonchalant and this is what we always do, but she needed him to guide her. And she would place her arm in his and she would, he would lead her. And she said, what Tony didn't realize is that it was an example to the Lord to me every day that my arm would be in his and I would trust him where we would go. He had the vision. You want 2017 and the remainder of your life to be one filled with anxiety and worry? Walk on your own and you're blind as a bat. You want 2017 and the life ahead to be one of vision and hope and life and joy but your arm and dad's walk with him walk in righteousness fall in love with his word Gail could discern Tony's voice in a crowd of people Jesus says the sheep know my voice you know his voice by his word spend time this year in his word I just finished the one year Bible last night and I began anew today And it's never gotten dull, and it's always new and always a blessing, and it always blesses my life. And the reason why the worry will dissipate and you can put your arm in the Father's is because you've been reconciled. You've been brought home. And you know how you were brought home? Your brother, God's son, who is also God, Jesus Christ, left heaven to pay the penalty. He got us out of jail. Our brother came and found us and, and paid the penalty. The penalty to get out was somebody had to die. We were on death row. And so our brother died in our place. Jesus' body was broken. His blood was shed. He was without sin, but he paid the price for the guilty. He took our guilt and our shame so that we can walk with the Father in righteousness and have a life of abundance. And this is what communion is. His body, the bread, his body was broken. The cup, his blood was shed to cleanse us of our sin. Blood must be shed for the remission of sin. It's a life life force of the body. It's capital punishment. Jesus paid it. We come here and take communion to restore and renew our vision of who we are and our identity. Our identity is not in our clothing or the food we eat or the job we hold or the tasks we do. Our identity is in God and our purpose is his righteousness for all the world to see. You take this communion, you put your arm in Papa's and you go into the darkest regions and you bring that light and watch as God meets your needs and orders your steps and blesses you and takes away your anxiety and your fear and your worry because you have replaced it with faith to walk with vision for the glory of the Lord. Amen? Happy New Year. Let's pray and we'll take communion. Lord, thank you for your word and we thank you, God, for this time together. You call us not to worry about our life, but to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to us. And so, Lord, we don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has its own cares. Today, we receive your forgiveness.
we recognize that we have been reconciled. We've been brought home into the house of our Papa, Abba, Father, our Dad. Our brother brought us home. Our brother paid the price. The Son of God, Jesus Christ, Lord of all. And so we come to recognize, Jesus, what you did. And we thank you. That as we take this communion together, it was your body broken and your blood shed for the remission of our sins that we can be reconciled to the Father and walk in righteousness and have our vision restored that our eye would be good and all we'd live for would be light and life. And so, Lord, we thank you for the hope of this new year. We thank you for your words that have renewed our faith and restored our sight. We love you, God. Bless us now as we take communion in your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.